you know what, work matters maybe more than we think it does. And so as we, as we jump in um, to, our, to our sermon today, we're going to be talking about work. Uh, we've been working through this series, it's what keeps you up at night, and we've been tracking through uh, the different things that cause us stress. And maybe they keep you up at night, uh, maybe it just causes you uh, stress in another way, but we've been working through um, a list of things. You know, it started with talking about marriage. Um, our marriage, uh, for a lot of us, it causes stress. Even the best marriages cause some stress. And then if marriage is difficult, if uh, maybe we're unequally yoked in the faith, or, or, or um, who knows what, if there's other issues, kids, finances, causes stress in marriage. And so we talked about that. We've talked about family, uh, extended family, kids, and how that can cause stress uh, in, in a marriage. And then we've talked about uh, last week we talked about finances. Finances definitely cause stress in our lives and, and cause difficulties in our lives, and we need to know how to navigate that God's way. And this week we talk about work, and before we get too far in, into the sermon today, here's, here's what I want to say is just by way of recap. Every one of these things that cause stress in our lives that we've talked about, there are solutions for, there are answers for, and we haven't dealt with everything that causes you stress. I think that if you're honest, there are probably all kinds of things that cause you stress in your life that aren't about your kids, your work, your money, or your marriage. And there still are a lot of stresses that come at you. Um, and for some of you, uh, maybe they're unique to you. Probably not. Probably they're shared by other people. But whatever they are, here's the thing that I need you to know. The answers for you are found here. You'll notice that each time, each week, as we've gone through this, this short four-week series, each week we've talked about stress, we've talked about where it comes from, and then we've looked at God's Word, and as we've looked at God's Word, as we've gone through the Bible, we've started to understand some of the ways that God addresses that for us. Some of the ways in Scripture that God tells us that our attitude needs to shift, our understanding needs to shift, or that we just need to do something a little differently so that it's what he has mapped out for us. And when we do that, the stress decreases and it makes sense. And when we operate God's way, that's what happens. And so here's what I want to say to you. If your big area of stress isn't one of these four things that we've covered, okay, the answers are still here. And even if, if it's something that, that, that nobody else necessarily knows about right now, listen, the answers are still in here. If you are not spending time daily in God's word, then you are going to miss out on a lot of the answers how to navigate things in life that are difficult. I want to encourage you that you need to get intimate with this. Well, not this. This one's mine. Get your own. If you don't have one, take the one that's under the seat in front of you. Take it, take it home with you. Write your name in the cover. That's just fine. It can be yours. But you need to get intimate with this. You need to know it. You need to love it. You need to spend time with it. You need to dive into it. You need to go through it daily. Because that's where the answer is for the stress that happens to you. That's where it is. This is God's provision for you. This is what we would call the inerrant word of God. That means that this is authoritative and it's infallible. And when we read it, what it tells us is good for us and it's true and it can be trusted and it needs to be put into practice. In fact, this and be honest with you, this is one of the very few areas where we break fellowship with other churches. 
we have a church that looks at this and says, that is not. It's good. It's nice. It's, it's pithy, and it's got good sayings in it, and it's good for you to read and know, but it is not the inerrant word of God. It can't be trusted in all ways. That is where we break fellowship. Because that is exactly what this is, and you can't believe that it's something else and grow in Christ. And so here's what I'm telling Listen, if you are here and you are dealing with stress, this is where you need to live. Okay, this is what you need to grasp hold of because this is the absolute truth of God, and it has the answers that you need. Okay, and so as we, as we continue this morning with the series, as we, as we move on, I forgot to do a little housekeeping stuff. There we go. Okay. Uh, as we move on, you're going to find that the word is going to have the answers that you need, okay? All right, so today is work. For a lot of us, work is stressful. Stressful for a, a lot of different reasons. Now, some of you here are retired, and so you can think back to how your work was stressful, or maybe your retirement is stressful because you're trying to navigate um, all kinds of different things in that, but, but work is stressful. Honestly, it's where you spend half of your waking hours at least five days a week. And some of you only wish that it was where you spend half of your waking hours Monday through Friday. For some of you, it's all-consuming. For some of you, it's, it's basically sundown to sunup most days. Work is where we invest a ton of our time, our effort, our energy. And, and hear me when I say this. Work is a good thing. Hear me when I say this too. Work should not be all-consuming. What we have to find is we have to find this right kind of balance. Now, balance in the Christian life is a myth. I like balance as much as the next guy. I want things in my life to be balanced. I want my checkbook to balance. Right? Anybody still write checks? You still write checks. I, I want my checkbook to balance. I haven't necessarily tried to balance my checkbook since 2004. I have a feeling it's going to be difficult if I go back and try, but the bank does it for me and I just trust them. We can have a conversation about whether that's wise or not later, um, but I just, I just assume the bank does a good job of balancing it for me. But we want our checkbook to balance. We want our work life to balance. We want our family life to balance, and we want it all to balance neatly with Jesus. But the problem is the Christian life doesn't call us to balance. The Christian life calls us to radically unbalanced life with Jesus at the center, all-consuming, that pushes out into everything that we do. And it's that understanding that causes our work to be redeemed and our work to make sense. And without that, it doesn't work. And we want our work life to be balanced, but we need to know what's at the center. Everything has to flow from Jesus Christ. Okay, so as we jump into this, there's a couple things we need to know. One is I acknowledge that work is hard. For a lot of you, work is hard, and it's hard for a couple of reasons. Because the people you work with, you don't like. I get that. Work might be hard because you might feel like the job itself is not a great fit for you. And it's just something that you have to do because you need to get paid. See, a lot of us, we look at work as something that we have to do because we need money, and so we do it, and that's what it is. Uh, for some of you, it's because you feel like it doesn't really matter. You could quit doing your job and it would make zero difference in the world. For some of you, you, you just feel like your job is important, but you can't do it well. And so it feels like, you know, every day is such a struggle because you're just not good at it. Right? So I'm not exactly sure 
what the issue is with your work, but here's what I know. I know that work is God's idea. Okay, so I want you to track through this with me as we look at, if we look at Genesis 128. Work is God's idea. God says to Adam and Eve, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern it. Work is God's idea. See, some of us have this idea that when God creates Adam and Eve to live in paradise in the Garden of Eden, that, uh, and by the way, this is where we get messed up with heaven too. We talked about this during our heaven series because we assume that when we get to heaven, it's just going to be this nice, easy, relaxed, no thing to do, just exist kind of life. But that's not, that's not at all what God tells us in scripture. But God creates this paradise, and he creates perfectly these individuals, and he says, okay, now get to work. Conquer the world. Tame the world. Cultivate the world. This is a cultural mandate that says govern the world. See, a lot of times we think um, about this. We think that Adam and Eve were just supposed to farm. That's all they were ever going to do was farm. They were just supposed to have crops, and it was going to be easy, and they were going to eat them, and they were going to live in a hut, and it was going to be awesome. But that was not God's intention with this cultural mandate. God says, govern the earth, multiply, fill it, conquer it, tame it. Without sin in the world, there still would have been advancements in scientific research, in architecture, in infrastructure, in finance, all of these things that we look at and we're like, oh, well, they're all, but no, they're not, no, no. This is God's mandate. This was all supposed to happen, okay? And so God says, fill the earth, govern it, rule it. And that was always the intention. God designed you to work. And so the question for us to answer is, if God designed us to work, why, for a lot of us, does work suck? Why do so many of us wake up Every day during the week, longing for Friday. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you've ever, uh, except for Malia and Vince, raise your hand (laughs) if you've woken up at some point in time during the week longing for Friday. Sure you have. And how many of you have gone home from church on a Sunday just dreading the Monday to come? We do, right? And so the question is, why does it work that way? If God designed work and we are made for work and work is in our DNA, right? God didn't create a perfect world, create perfect individuals, and then give them a job that they were not suited to do. God gave them a job that they were designed for, that their heart should have cried for, that they wanted to do because it was perfect, But now we live in a world where we dread Monday and we long for Friday and we spend half of our waking hours doing something that we don't want to do. We survive it rather than thrive in it. And so the question is, why is it that way? And then what does the Bible say we can do about it? Okay, so let's dig into that today. And I'm going to tell you this to start with. The reason it is that way, why, is because the fall broke work. When your work is hard it's because sin broke work. God creates Adam and Eve perfectly. I I know some of you are like, man, you blame a lot on Adam and Eve. I know I do because they messed everything up. It was all good 
and then they came along and they jacked it all up for us and now everything is messed up and none of it works the way it's supposed to and it's their fault and you know what I probably would have made the exact same mistakes they did only faster okay but here's what happened Adam and Eve are created perfectly and God gives them a mandate to work and it, it should inspire them and it should move them and it should excite them and then sin enters the world and now work along with everything else work is broke Sin breaks work, and it breaks it in a couple of ways, and I think these will, you, you'll see these ways in your own relationships or your own um, experience at work. The first thing it broke is it broke relationships. Relationships are broken, and it's awfully hard to work effectively when all of the relationships are broken, unless you work by yourself. And even then, you have to have interaction with people, and that's where it gets most difficult. Look at this. One of the first things that happened, what happened as soon as the fall happens, the first thing um, when, when they ask what happened is Adam goes from praising Eve, this one. He's like, oh, at last, God, this woman, she is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. And this is why, you know, everything will happen. And I'll, uh, a man will leave his, his mother and father and he'll cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh and it'll be perfect and it's awesome and it's everything it's supposed to be. And, and Adam's heart is singing, at last. Oh God, thank you for my partner. Thank you, at last. And then here we just read another chapter and he's like, it was the woman's fault. <laughs> she did it. Actually, God, you did it first. You gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. You gave her to me, and then she did this thing, and what was I going to do? Right? I mean, we go, we go from this perfect intimacy, and then sin happens, and this perfect intimacy is broken. That's the first thing that happens. It was the woman you gave me who ate the fruit, and then she gave it to me, and what was I supposed to do? And then not only that, but when God's doling out curses, he says, well, now the world is broken, so here's how it's going to be. He tells Eve, he says, look, your desire, um, you will desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you. And, and, and we think about that, okay, well, in the context, that's about husbands and wives, and that's the tension in a relationship that they're going to experience. But no, that's about relationships. That's going to transcend, okay? That's going to transcend husband and wives. It starts there, and that's at the epicenter, but it just moves out. And that's why when you're at work, and you have relationships that are hard, it's because sin broke relationships, and that breaks work. I mean, if you think about it, right? You work in an office, you know as well as I do that there is a lot of gossip in an office. I worked in a school for a lot of years, and uh, man, I could always tell you exactly what was happening with those other teachers. Now, the thing is, those teachers never told me. Everybody else told me, because there's all kinds of gossip. There's all kinds of backbiting. There's all kinds of backstabbing. There's brown nosing, right? There's one-upping. There's self-preservation. How do I make myself more important? Right? You know, as well as I do, there were people that you worked with, and, and they were always looking out for themselves. Themselves first. Relationships are broken, and if you've got hard relationships at your office or hard relationships at your school or hard relationships where you work... Well, the reason is because sin broke relationships. And that's not just family relationships. It's not just husband and wife, but it's all over the place. 
It's all over the place. Frankly, that's why it's difficult to work with a family member. It's difficult to work with a family member sometimes because this is doubly so, right? Because not only do I have that relational tension at home, but then I take it to work with me and I have it there at work. That's why as much as I love Carrie, I don't ever want to work with Carrie. And she doesn't ever want to work with me because it's not designed, it, it broke. Relationships are broken. And so that's one of the things that make work hard. We continue here in Genesis, Genesis three seventeen through 19. And, and not only did the fall, did sin break relationships and that makes work hard, it actually broke work. I mean, I, this is, you, you, can't, you can't miss this. Sin actually breaks the idea of your heart being passionate about work. Think about when you were younger. What did you want to be when you became an adult? Think about it for a second. What did you want to be when you became an adult? Tell the person sitting next to you. What did you want to be? Okay, now here's the deal. Some of you might be doing the thing that you thought you were designed to do, but I doubt it. Now, as a kid, I always thought that I wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to teach. I started teaching because, here's the deal, um, I'm not very imaginative, and because I decided when I was 10 that I should be a teacher, then by the time I went to college, I was like, well, I guess I'll be a teacher. Turns out, can I be really honest with you? I don't like teaching. I mean, I went through four years of college, and then they gave me a classroom to go student teach in, and I was actually pretty good at it. I hated it. You think about how demoralizing that is? You think about how demoralizing that is, that I wanted to be a teacher. I was sure I was going to, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. I like kids. Kids are fun. I'm going to be a teacher. Uh, and, And then I go and I student teach. You know, I I never taught in a classroom. I finished college. I got my degree. I, I, I had some offers to, to go work in schools because I went and applied for some jobs because that's what you were supposed to do. But I ended up doing something completely different. And then I was able to find my compromise. That's why I became a school counselor because I didn't want to ignore that. I mean, I spent four years and a lot of money figuring out that I didn't want to be a teacher, but I want to ignore it. So I got my degree in counseling and I tried to marry the two. And that wasn't bad right? I mean, it wasn't bad, but I lived for summer. I lived for Christmas vacation because my work was disappointing to me. We did this at the office. I wanted to be a teacher. Vince wanted to be a firefighter. Go figure, right? Like a, you know, little boy, like I want to be a firefighter. Uh, You'll never guess what Malia wanted to be. Backup dancer for Janet Jackson. So, I mean, whatever, everybody's got their dreams, right? But, and, and we think when we're young and we fantasize about what we want to do, what do we want to do with our lives and how do we want to work? We have this idea, I know, right? <laughs> Janet Jackson, backup dancer. <clears throat> okay. But here's the deal. I bet she's really wishing she'd never said that <laughs> out loud. Oh, well. Uh, but, but here's what happens. 
Something gets lost between this passion and this idea of work because we know that we're wired for work. We know that it's part of us. This is something we're supposed to crave and want to do. But then something gets lost in translation from when it's time to actually go do. And you know what? It's not a surprise what that is. That is sin breaking work. Not only are relationships harder, but your work is actually harder. Look at this. God tells us this is the way that it's going to be in Genesis. Genesis 3, 17 through 19, you get some snippets of it here. The ground, he's talking to Adam. Good job, Adam. Your sin jacks things up. The, the ground is now cursed because of you. All of your life, you're going to struggle to even scratch a living from the earth. It, it used to be easy, and, it was, and food was plentiful, and work refreshed your soul. And yes, it was hard work, but it was always good, and it was exactly the way I designed it. But now... Now it's going to be hard, and you are going to eat by the sweat of your brow. And we look at that, and we're like, okay, well, that's why there's thorns. That's why there's drought. That's why there's thistles. That's why it's hard to grow food sometimes. No, no. this is not just about that. Again, that's at the epicenter. But God never designed work to just be agricultural. God designed us with a cultural mandate to conquer and tame and rule the world. In all areas of life and work. And so this has spread. And now instead of being something that our heart longs for, this becomes difficult. And it's something that we're supposed to find such great passion in. And when we think about it as kids, it's like, oh yeah, I get it. It's going to be. And then all of a sudden we get there and it's hard and it doesn't satisfy and it doesn't make us happy because it's broke. And there's more. Look at this one. The fall not only breaks work, sin breaks work because it makes relationships hard and it makes work harder than it was intended to be, but because our true purpose is lost. Our purpose is lost. Genesis 3.10 says this, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. The idea here is that Adam and Eve, who were created perfectly to have this relationship with God, they are supposed to be in perfect communion with the God of the universe. They walk together in the cool of the evening. They spend time together. They love each other. The relationship with God that Adam and Eve share, it is, it is what he always intended it to be. He is at the center of their world. Everything revolves around him, and he gives them life and purpose and passion and joy. And then sin happens, and that relationship, that purpose that drove them is broke, which is why the first opportunity that they have to see their creator, their purpose, their passion, their love, the first opportunity, what do they do? They hide. They run and they hide because they're ashamed. They're ashamed of themselves. They're ashamed of their nakedness. And yes, physically, but emotionally, and, and their whole life, everything is laid bare because of their sin. And all of a sudden, where they knew no shame before, and everything was perfect, and they, and they walked with God, and they had this perfect relationship with God, now all of a sudden, they're not worthy of that, and they know it. Now all of a sudden, there's something between them and God, and it's this sin, and they're ashamed and they hide. 
work is hard because our purpose is wrong. And you might be wondering, well, what, you know, yeah, okay, so there's sin in the world, and that means our relationship with God is, is hard, and, and it's not what it was supposed to be, but how is that supposed to help me sleep about work? How is that supposed to ease my stress over work? Here's what you need to understand. The problem here is because God is no longer in the center of our lives like he always was supposed to be, even when you're a Christian, it's hard for us. We have to fight to keep God in the center of our lives. Like, you, you have to understand that, right? Even, even those of us that are trying to follow Jesus daily, we still struggle all the time to keep Christ at the center. We start to waver, we start to wander, and it's a struggle to keep Christ where he's supposed to be. And what happens is as soon as Christ leaves from the center of our lives, our lives become about something else. Become about something else. Instead of trusting Jesus, instead of trusting God to give us purpose and passion and meaning and to make everything right, we start trusting something else. We talked about this last week with money. Some of you trust your money way too much because what you've done is you've made money. This is the center of my life and this is the most important thing. Some of you have made your wife or your husband your most important thing and you pour all your energy into that person and that's, the, that's it and that's everything about me is this person and some of you have done that, for your, you've done that to your kids you've put them there for a lot of you it's your work your work now is what defines you and it's at the center of your life you know the problem with your work being at the center of your life is that it just can't satisfy you some of you are so stressed out about work because you've expected your work to fulfill you. Some of you are so stressed out about work because you've expected your work to make you happy. You've expected your work to give you meaning. And guess what? God never intended work to do that. So your work will never do that. It might temporarily but it won't ever truly ultimately satisfy because that's not what God created it to do. See, go back. God creates work, but God never creates work to replace him. God creates work because it's supposed to bring joy and provision and relationships into your life. That's what it was designed to do. Sin breaks it. Work is broke. Okay, but now some of us have decided that work is now our end-all, be-all. We're defined by our work. We want to be excellent at our work. We want to be known for our work. We want to be advanced at our work. We want to be promoted at our work. We want to be elevated at our work. And when we do well, we think that ought to make us fulfilled and happy, but it will never work, and you will never get rest, and you will always be stressed about what's next. I don't care how many promotions you get. It's never going to be enough because it's supposed to fulfill you, but it can't fulfill you because God didn't make it to fulfill you. It's not supposed to be that. It's not. And so we, we, we dig in here and we feel empty and we feel stressed and we feel, we feel bad and it doesn't work, okay? And so we need to understand that, that it just can't be that way, okay? So it's kind of discouraging, I know. God makes us to work, Sin breaks work, and now it doesn't work right. Our relationships are wrong. Work is hard. It's hard to find passion in work. Oh, and by the way, too many of us make it too important in our lives, and it was never intended to be that, and so it doesn't work. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, great, Matt, thanks. I'll really sleep much better tonight, and that'll be awesome. There's good news, though. The good news here is the good news. Because Jesus redeems everything. You know that, right? That Jesus, that's the whole point of the cross. Jesus comes to redeem. 
See, and when we think about the cross, we think about this idea that Jesus has saved us from hell. Because of our sin, we were destined to hell. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he saves us from hell, and he saves us to heaven. And that's all very accurate. It's also, please track this, it is a ridiculously low view of the cross. Because Jesus didn't just come to make sure you get to be in heaven. Yes, that is a true statement. When Jesus dies on the cross and you surrender to him and confess your sins and agree to follow him, that your sins are forgiven and you are now right with God and a byproduct of being right with God is eternal life in heaven. That is a truth fact. But that's not all. See, some of us, we think that's it. That's the truth of the Christian life. That's the promise. But he actually redeems everything. Everything gets redeemed. So everything should be better because of the cross. Now, I want to be really careful here because this is where too many people get lost in this health, wealth, prosperity, gospel stuff. See, it's an easy, short walk to say, well, well we are following Jesus, and, and you get why this happens, why it's so popular and why it's so attractive, this teaching, right? This name it, claim it stuff. It's like, well, I'm following Jesus, Jesus is the God of the universe. I'm following Jesus. Everything is redeemed. Everything is supposed to be the way it was. So now everything should be simple. I should have a job that pays me what I believe that I should make. I should have absolute enjoyment every time I walk through the door at work. It should make me happy. Everything should work great. It should be easy. Well, that's not the deal. But what God does with this redemption is your circumstances don't change, but your attitude and your understanding change. How God has redeemed work in your life. Now, I need you to track this because this is the key to, to letting go of the stress and to sleeping at night about your work. God has not promised to change the circumstances of your work. But what God has promised to do is to change your attitude about the circumstances of your work. That's how God wants to redeem this in you. Your work isn't necessarily going to change. I mean, it might. I mean, you might get a new job. You might get a promotion. Those things might happen. But that's not the promise of God. The promise of God is that he's going to take your attitude, your understanding, the way that you look at life, and he's going to do something with it so that you could stand in the same situation tomorrow and it looks completely different to you. And you understand it completely different. And you find joy that you never knew existed because everything has new meaning. Okay, and so let's track this. Your work, first of all, the thing to understand about your work is that your work is worship. Okay? The circumstances of your work, when you left your office Friday afternoon, when you left the job site Friday afternoon, when you left your classroom, when, when you locked the door at your office, whatever it was, when you left Friday and when you go in tomorrow, the circumstances of your work have not changed. But hopefully your attitude can shift and that will make walking into work tomorrow feel different. Because God has said that your work is meant to be worship. Look at Colossians 3. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you were serving is Christ. Listen, you don't think you make enough money? You don't think your retirement plan is big enough? I get it. I understand where you're coming from, but get this. The Lord will actually give you an inheritance as your reward. Because the master you're serving is Jesus Christ. So 
God is laying this out for us that when you go to work, listen, whatever company you work for, whatever individual you work for, you're not working for them. You're working for God. They are just the middleman. And so here's what this does, okay? When you think about the fact that your work is worship, it gives meaning to even the most frustrating job. Because as you go and you're part of this frustrating job, you know what? And you're like, why am I doing this frustrating thing? This is terrible. This is boring. Nobody would ever choose to do this. This is demeaning. I can't believe I have to do this again. Why in the world am I doing this? You know what it does? I understand that you know what I'm doing is I'm worshiping God through this act of work. And so no matter how menial or how gross or how hard or how difficult it might be, you know what? I can look at it positively because what this is, this is me worshiping the God of the universe. And when you understand that your work is worship, well, I mean, I hope that you get excited about it. Now, maybe this is me taking a stretch. Okay, so don't tell me if I'm wrong, at least not right now. But I hope you get excited for Sunday worship. Sunday's my favorite day of the week. Sunday's my favorite day of the week. Okay, one, because in my job, Sunday's like, hey, this is game day. Let's do this, right? And I get that. But, but two, because I love to worship God. I absolutely love to worship God. Here's the thing. We get together. I, I wake up at about 6.30 or so on a Sunday morning, get my coffee, sit down at the dining room table, and I go over my notes. And I start to get excited. I pray over my notes. I pray over my sermon outline. I pray over it all, and, and I get excited, right? I drink my coffee, and I ask God to bless the time this morning and the day. I, you know, I put it away. I get dressed. I get ready. Uh, I talk to whoever happens to be awake. Usually, it's just Carrie before I leave. And I get here at about 8 o'clock, and then I put my notes away, and I just read through my outline again. One more prayer. It's worship. I look forward to it so much. And then at 8.30, by the way, you're all invited at 8.30. We sit in here and we pray. You don't have to, I mean, you just show up, walk in that room, 8.30. We're praying every morning. We pray for the service. We pray for the church. We pray for the community. We're always praying. 8.30 every Sunday, join us. We pray and it's awesome and I love it. And then we get done and I come out here at nine o'clock and because I'm me, I fill up my coffee cup. Okay. And then I visit with people put my notes down, get, get everything ready, and I put my microphone, and we just visit, you know, for another 25 minutes. And then it's 9.30, and we stand, and we sing, and we pray. And then it's, it's my turn to come up here and, and open God's word to you and share what he's put on my heart and all of those things. And it's, I don't know about you, but I hate missing Sundays. Even when I'm not preaching, even when we're on vacation, even when we're not here, we're at church somewhere on a Sunday morning because I don't want to miss it. Like, I think we've missed one Sunday in the last three years, and it was because we were traveling on Sunday morning, and we would have traveled later, except we were traveling with my mom, dad, brother, sister-in-law, and my niece and nephew, and, well, there was no um, rearranging as far as they were concerned, especially not to get to church, okay? I love it. I hope you love it too. And what God says here in Colossians 3 is that's what every Monday morning should look like for you. Every Monday morning you should have the attitude of, yes, maybe it's not going to be quite as enjoyable as a Sunday morning worship service, but this is an opportunity for me to go to work, for me to honor the God of the universe, and for me to worship like never before. 
This is an opportunity for me to worship the God who creates me, who sustains me, who provides for me. This is my opportunity to do that. And if you can have that perspective, then your work can still be the same crappy job that you left on Friday, but when you go do it on Monday, it means something completely different because I can honor God with it. And that should do something for you. If that doesn't do something for you, then I'm I'm not sure what's going on in your heart because the fact that you can worship God at a job that God has given you such gracious provision that you can just go to work at a place that you have to go anyway because you need to make money and you can have the right attitude that that can be called worship? That is a gift of grace of the God of the universe. So when you work, you work as if your boss is Jesus Christ because guess what? Your boss is Jesus Christ. I've been told before that it's much easier to work for a company when you feel like the owner of the company has your best interest in mind. That would be a true statement, right? Listen to me. The owner of whatever company it is you work for, the owner of whatever job you work for is Jesus Christ. Trust me when I tell you that he has your best interest at heart and he wants to provide for you like crazy. We keep going. Not only is work worship, but work is evangelistic. God has told us in Scripture that we are to be evangelistic, that we are to be on mission. This in Matthew 28. This is called the Great Commission. Okay? This is what you're to do. You are to be a disciple maker. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. That is the command for every Christian. By the way, you can't opt out of that. You can't retire out of that. You know how you get out of that commission as a Christian? Honestly, you die. The only way to be excused from the great commission is to be dead. Because when you die as a Christian, you go to be with Jesus. Well, guess what? Everybody with Jesus already knows Jesus. You don't need to share Jesus with people that are hanging out with Jesus. That would be redundant. There will be no evangelists in heaven right? We'll have different work to do, okay? But we are all on this mission. See, a lot of you, what you do is you decide this is the church's job and that you participate in the Great Commission by proxy. It's like, I'm a part of the church, therefore the Great Commission gets taken care of because I'm a part of the church that does the Great Commission. No, no, this is an individual thing. You are called to be part of this. When you work, it's simple. When you're retired, you're not done. You just have to work harder at it. But your work is actually a way that you are able to practice this great commission, okay? This thing that you're supposed to do, to go and make disciples of all the nations, sharing faith, sharing life, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything. You know how that works? That means you go to the office and, and you share faith. And I'm not suggesting that every day when you walk in, you carry your John 3.16 sign. That probably won't work unless you work here. And then here, you're just preaching to the choir, right? It doesn't work that way. I'm not suggesting that you evangelize every conversation that you have, that every conversation you have with a coworker, you come back to, hey, by the way, right? Um, you need Jesus, and this is this, you know. But I'm saying that you When you work with people, you have the opportunity to influence them for faith, and you get to talk about your faith. You get to share your faith. You get to share why Jesus is important to you. You get to share how Jesus has made a difference in your life. You get to invite them 
to participate in that with you. You can invite them to come to church. You can invite them into a relationship with you and your family that will eventually earn you the right to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, this is an opportunity. When you view your work as evangelistic, all of a sudden hard takes on a different meaning. When you, you, when you view yourself as a missionary in your work, all of a sudden, hard has a different meaning. You know those relationships that you struggle so much with at work? When you view yourself as a missionary to that person, you can stomach a whole lot more insult. When you view yourself as a missionary to the people that will gossip about you and stab you in your back, but you view them as your mission field and they are the people that you are trying to bring the gospel to, to share them, because that's where God's planted you and he said your work is worship and your work is evangelistic, then you know what? You can take a whole lot. And when you think, man, my work is kind of meaningless. If I stopped doing this, it wouldn't really matter. Well, yes, it would because you're not there maybe to punch buttons and do things. You're there so that you can do something with an eternal end game. And you can minister to somebody and evangelize somebody and, and help share the gospel with people that need to know. Look, if you have the attitude that your work is your mission, it's worship, but it's also my mission because I'm supposed to be evangelistic, then it changes things. Last one here, we look at this. Work is God's provision for you. Work is God's provision for you. You understand that um, sometimes your work might not be sexy. Sometimes your work is not sexy but your work provides. You know, I will, I will give Carrie all the credit in the world. Um, I think when she was a kid, she, she, I don't know what she wanted to do. We've talked about this before, but I always forget. She didn't know. See, that's why I forget, because she didn't know. Whew. And yeah, you can't hear her, but she said, I still don't know. Because Carrie has always had this wonderful attitude about her work that's always encouraged me. And it encouraged me when I didn't love my work as a school counselor, when I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be a pastor and I knew it, but it wasn't immediate. It was years before that happened. But, but Carrie's attitude about her work has always encouraged me. And her attitude was simply this. I work because God's provided me work. And when I work, it provides me the things that I need. You know, God has said, look... Um, Work is important in your life. Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians, I gave you this command, right? Those unwilling to work don't get to eat. Right? That's, um, it sounds political. I don't mean it to be political. I'm simply sharing what Paul wrote in the gospel, which, uh, which, or in, in Thessalonians, and, and it simply is this. If you want to eat, here's an easy way to accomplish that. Work. Carrie's always had that attitude. I don't love my work, but my work provides for me and my family, and so I'm going to do it. Paul tells Timothy, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. God gives you work as a provision. Your work, no matter how much you love it, it is a blessing to you so that you can provide. It's a blessing to you so that you can give generously it's a blessing to you so that you can spend wisely, and it's a blessing to you so that you can save appropriately. All of those things that we talked about last week. It's a blessing to you so you can provide for your family. Your work, whether you love it or not, is God's provision for you, and it's important. Okay, and again, these things won't, by the way, 
Uh, oh, man, that's the one. These things won't radically change your experience on Monday morning, right? But they'll change your attitude. And when you have a different attitude, that changes the way that you go into something and it changes the way you manage. And you know what? It helps you sleep. It helps you let go of stress, okay? These are a couple things I would share with you. We've been sharing resources with you on those cards throughout this series. This is just another. These are on Right Now Media. And these are two of probably a hundred Bible studies about work that you could access on Right Now Media. I would just encourage you, if you can't get on Right Now Media, all that means is I didn't know um, your email when we did it. And if you give me your email, I will send you an invitation so you can get logged into Right Now Media and you can use it. It's free. The church pays for it. Uh, it's like Netflix, but with Bible studies. Okay? It's worth having. If I sent you an invitation and you kind of ignored it because you didn't know what it was and you want another one, you just got to let me, Malia, Vince, let one of us know and we'll get that sent out to you. But here's just two examples. Joy at work and redeeming work are two of the many studies on work or marriage or finances or family or kids or you name it that are on there that we want to bless you with so that you can continue to grow um, in, in your faith and grow in your understanding of what God says about these things. Okay, so the last thing I'll say is this. Engaging in an attitude shift about your work won't change the circumstances of your work. But it'll change your perspective. It'll cause you to view your work in a way that honors God, in a way that understands that your work is worship and that your work is evangelistic and that your work is God's provision because he loves you like crazy and he doesn't ever want you to go without when you understand the attitude shift, everything else falls into place. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to encourage you. If you've got more stress in these areas, Philippians 4, 6 tells us this, right? You don't be anxious about anything, but you pray about everything. We've talked about money, marriage, family, and work, but I know there are other stresses that you deal with, and I know that just because we talked about these, these stresses won't melt away overnight. Philippians 4, 6 tells us this. Don't be anxious. Don't have stress. But here's what you do. You pray, you trust, and you thank God. So here's my encouragement to you. Do your part, and then pray about everything that is outside of your control, and trust God to do his. You pray, Right? I mean, you've got to do your part. You've got to do your work. You've got to get up and go to work every day. You're, you're dissatisfied in work and you need a different job. You've got to apply for different jobs. You've got to do your part. But after that, it's out of your control. So all you can do is pray and trust God with the results. And when you do that, again, when you know I've done everything that was on my heart to do, and now I'm praying and I'm trusting the God of the universe who loves me like crazy, then all of a sudden things fall into place. And it becomes easier. And the stress goes away and I can sleep well, and I can engage fully with my family time, and I can engage fully with my spouse, and I can engage fully with my friends, and I can be present because I don't have to spend time worrying about everything. I do my part, and I ask God to do the rest, and I trust that he's got my best interest at heart. It's, just, it's, it's all it is. Okay? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you are a God that loves and cares for us. We thank you that you continually provide for us. We thank you for your word, your instruction book that tells us how we are to be and how we are to view things and our attitude towards all of these things. You have answered the questions that we 
uh, that we have, that you knew that we would have. You have given us the answers to navigate life in your word, and we just love you for its truth. We thank you for giving it to us. God, we ask you to, to encourage us as we read it, as we pray, as we navigate life that is hard because of sin, but that you bring us through and that you help us to understand that redemption is not just a ticket to heaven, but it's an opportunity for a redeemed life, a purposeful, passionate, meaningful life that works here, that makes inroads with the gospel, that, that storms the gates of hell, that just makes a difference in the world that we live in. And on the other end of that, yes, is eternity with you in heaven that'll be better than anything we've ever dreamed of. But God, you've got work for us in the here and now. Help us understand that as we read your word, as we, as we meditate and navigate life. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Amen.